So I think we would all say there are some days when we maybe feel special, right? If it's your birthday, uh, you feel special. Maybe if it's an anniversary or a graduation, or if you think back to when you were a kid and you were the star student of the day or the line leader of the week, you know, that this is your special time or it was your time uh, to do show and tell. And so there are all these days that maybe are red-letter days in our own calendar where we feel special. And today, uh, today it's our prayer that Vivian and Andrew and Michael and Danielle are special. You guys have cakes with your name on it, and so you guys should feel special uh, today. And in fact, whenever we go through, like after a starting point, we have a, a partners in ministry workshop, and I say it, I say, you know what? Uh, I hope you guys get this, that this is your congregation as much as mine. You are important. Uh, and we, we try to convey that. And, and we can say that all we want. And yet, do we always feel that way? Do we always feel that our voice is heard? Do we always feel that we're special? Or, and, and even though we're, we're maybe told we are, sometimes we, we start to wane from that. And, and I think some of that is just the result of numbers. So after today, we will have 64 confirmed members of Light of the Valleys. You four, what does that make you? One-sixteenth, right? One-sixteenth, that's great odds if you're playing the lottery, all right? But it, most of the time in life, one-sixteenth, you think of a ruler, right? That's that tiniest little line on a ruler that you hardly even look at. And you say, oh, that's nothing. That's just a little, little line. One-sixteenth, no big deal. I'm not special anymore. Or, or maybe you think of, let, let's broaden it out to the, the city of Reno or the greater, greater metro area of Reno. Uh, I just read 2021 that there are 514,000 people living in the Reno metro area. So you are one 514,000th of this city. What, what does that look like? How, how significant does that make you? You know, I, I was trying to illustrate that. I was thinking, okay, uh, the median home price in Reno is actually a little bit above that right now, but let's just say the median home price is, is $514,000. So you see a house that you want to buy, and you call up the realtor, and you're going to make an offer on that house, and you say, I've got $1. And they would say, that $1, that's, that's nothing. Well, that's you in the city of Reno. You're one out of 514,000. Or you, you, you take it even one step further and you go all the way to the United States of America. Each of us here today is 0.000003% of our country's population, population. And we think, oh yes, I'm proud to be an American. But we're such a small fragment and so even though we can get told by mom and dad and by teachers, you know what, you are special, there are so many times in life when we see by sheer size that we're made to feel about so big. Am I special? What difference can I make? Who am I to do anything? And it's that question, what difference can I make? Who am I? That I believe Hadassah also asked. And you say, Hadassah who? And you prove my point, right? Uh, Hadassah was kind of a nobody. Uh, she was part of God's Old Testament people, of the Jews. 
And, and I mean, that was a special thing because God said his son, the Savior, was going to come from that group. But she wasn't really prominent among them. Uh, she, was, she was an orphan. She was also an alien, not Area 51 type alien, but a foreigner living in a foreign land. Uh, she lived at a time the last three weeks, if you've been with us, we've been reading, uh, having messages based on the book of Daniel. Daniel was kind of a big deal. I, I mean, he also was a foreigner, but he was recognized as someone who had potential, who had leadership skills, and he worked in the king's cabinet. And so just looking at a timeline, uh, Daniel, we've been looking at this one, Daniel kind of bridged the first two major kingdoms uh, when he lived. Uh, so Babylon was, was there, and then he, he also served in the king, for, the, for the kingdom of Persia. Well, that's about where Hadassah comes in. Hadassah is, is around 500 B.C. The, the kingdom of Persia is, is reigning now, but she's just a nobody. Like I said, she's an orphan. She's an alien. She's living in Persia, which means probably her grandparents were maybe deported there from, from Israel. She's like a second or third generation uh, Jew living in Persia. And, and the people there didn't even know that about her. I mean, it's one thing if you're an orphan and people know that you're an orphan. Or it's one thing to know if, if you're, a, you're an immigrant or you're an alien and people know that you're an alien. And they didn't even know that about her. She was just kind of this, this nameless, faceless, maybe pretty face in the crowd. But then things changed. Because, long story short, the king of Persia... King Xerxes was his name. He needed a new wife. He needed a new queen. And so what did he do? Uh, he, he arranged a search party, and he, he sent out people all throughout the kingdom and said, all right, bring all the pretty ladies to the palace. And after getting a, getting a year's worth of beauty treatments, they could audition uh, to be the queen. And Hadassah was one of those ladies. And after spending a year in the palace getting beauty treatment, she auditioned for the king. And long story short, she wins. Hadassah, orphan, little orphan Hadassah, now gets crowned Queen Esther. And they live happily ever after, right? Not so much. I am just giving you a little snapshot of about four or five verses of this 10-chapter book of the Bible. I would encourage you, I, would, I really would encourage you sometime this week, read the 10 chapters or watch the movie, uh, Night with the Queen or Night with the King. It, there's a movie about it if you're not reading, but it, it won't take you very long. Read the whole, whole book. But um, it, it is, there are lots of sub-themes that are going on. So I told you that Esther, for example, was an orphan. Uh, she was raised by her cousin, a guy by the name of Mordecai. So there, I'll, I'll keep repeating the names. So you've got Hadassah, who's also called Esther. You've got King, who's called Xerxes. And now you've got Mordecai. Mordecai is, is her cousin, is Hadassah's cousin. He raised her because she was an orphan. Well, as soon as she becomes queen, he still has a soft spot in his heart for this, this girl that she ra he raised. And so he hangs out at the palace gates just trying to keep his ear to the ground, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with my, my dear little Hadassah? You know, how is she doing as queen? And as he's there, he also runs into another guy who's not so nice. His name is Haman. Haman is this 
I guess you would call him a lobbyist. He was, he's a political guy who, who uh, kind of th- likes to throw around his money and says, you know what, I can, I can get what I want if I just uh, support this or put, throw money here. And, and he thought he was all that and then some. And he hated Mordecai. He hated Mordecai because he thought, you know what, I've got all this clout and here's this Mordecai guy who he knew he was a Jew. And, and he says, you know what, he's not honoring me like he should. And so he, he just, got, just had animosity for Mordecai. So you got four players, all right? So you got Hadassah, you got King Xerxes, you got Mordecai, who is the, the guardian, and then you have Haman. Well, as Haman gets more and more upset with this Mordecai guy at the gate, he decides, you know what, I'm just going to go talk to the king about this. And he says, king, uh, king Xerxes, you know, oh, we're so comfortable, I'll just call you King X. All right, king, you know, I'll give you, this is what I'll give you, I'll give you $250 million worth of silver. All right, I mean, you think of the Comstock load around here and how much that was able to, to, to influence people. This is like seven years worth of mining uh, from, from the Comstock load. He says, I'll give you $250 million worth of silver into the royal treasury if you get rid of this guy named Mordecai. And you just wipe off his whole family. In fact, you, you wipe off all of his people from our country. We don't need these Jews. He was an anti-Semite. We don't need these people here. And all of a sudden, there's drama. Because remember, Esther is the queen, but nobody knew her background. Nobody knew that she was a Jew. King didn't know that his wife was a Jew. Haman didn't know that he was asking the king to kill his wife, but he is. And, and so the king, without knowing this, signs this, this, this proposal into law, which is a huge deal for their culture. They were so certain about their laws, they didn't ever use pencil, they always used ink. And they said, this is law of Medes and Persians which cannot be overturned unless something comes later that supersedes it. And so as soon as he says, yep, we'll take out Mordecai, we'll take out uh, all of his family, we'll take out all of his people, boom, it is a done deal. The only thing they have to figure out is when is this, this basically a holocaust, when is it going to happen? And so they take a few dice and they throw them and they say, oh, okay, in 11 months from now, we are going to wipe out these people from our empire. And now you're Esther. What do you do? You can continue to hide, hide your identity. If the king doesn't know that I'm a Jew, if the king doesn't know that I'm related to Mordecai, I will save my skin. Or I can risk my life, maybe use my position as queen and try to influence the king and save people. What would you do if you're in her shoes? And maybe we don't even have to ask that question, is what would you do if you were Esther? You can really ask yourself, what would you do today? Because God's people uh, today, and by God's people, I don't mean bloodlines anymore. Yeah, God's people of the Old Testament were from a certain family because that was the human backdrop to bring Jesus, the Savior, into this world. But God tells us that he, he considers his people post-Jesus. The, the New Testament Israel has nothing to do with blood. It has all to do with faith. 
And so you are God's people today. God's people are still under threats. There are plenty of Hamans out there who would love to see Christians wiped off the face of this earth. They would love to see you deposed from your position as a child of God. And so the question isn't so much, what would you do if you were Esther, but what would you do today? What do you do today when your faith is challenged? Do you stand up for your faith? Do you reveal your identity? And maybe risk some uncomfortability in your own life? Maybe even risk your life? Or do you hide your identity and save your own skin? Let nobody know this. You know, when it comes to confirmation, today is, is, is confirmation day, and there will be a series of questions uh, that we'll ask uh, the four of you. And one of the major questions of Confirmation Sunday is always this one. Do you intend to hold firmly to this teaching and to endure all things, even death, if necessary, rather than fall away from it? And the prescribed answer is, of course, I do. But do you? Would you? And this goes beyond the question for the four people that are being confirmed today. If you are facing death, that's what Esther was possibly facing, would you stand up for your faith? Would you stand up, hold firmly to the teaching of God's word, endure all things? That's a pretty important question. And it's a question that I'm sure Esther wrestled with as she lay in her palace bedroom. You know? you know, maybe it wouldn't be that big of a deal to just hide my identity. She had already hidden it for a year's worth in the palace. What's another 11 months? Or do you let your faith be known and try to serve other people? As she's contemplating this, the mail comes the next day. And she receives a letter uh, from her cousin Mordecai, the guy who, who raised her. And, and this is what he had to say in the letter. He says, do not think, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. And just a little parenthetical thought there, that is a tremendous statement of faith on Mordecai's part. You see, he knew that God had promised that the Savior of the world was going to come through the Jews. So he knew, he knew God's promises is, are going to come true. All the Jews aren't going to be wiped out. They can't, because otherwise God would have to turn, his pro, turn back on his promises. But he says, but if, so not all the Jews you know, will be wiped out. There will be relief and deliverance. But you, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? And that's really the question of the day. Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? I want you to think about that question. Maybe as we go back to some of the the early uh, questions that I had in the introduction today. You know, 
I, I said, okay, the four of you, you are one out of 64 uh, confirmed members at Light of the Valleys. Or you, you are all one of 514,000 Renoites. You are all one of 329.5 million Americans. And our tendency is always to look at the second half of that equation. That's what shrinks us. That's what makes us feel small. I'm one of 64. I'm one of 514,000. I'm one of 329 million. But what Mordecai is encouraging Esther to think about and what Mordecai is encouraging us to think about is don't look at the second half of that equation, but look at the first half. You are one. You're one of 64. You're one of 514,000. You're one of 329 million. There is only one you in your position of life. Right? There is only one Andrew who is that Andrew. There is only one Vivian who is that Vivian. There's only one Mike who's that Mike. There's only one Danielle who's that Danielle. There's only one, and you insert your name. What position has God put you into individually to serve him? God will not use you the same way that he used the Jews of the Old Testament to usher Jesus into this world because Jesus has already come. But might God be using you? Might God put you in a position one day to usher Jesus into someone's heart? Might God use you? Might God put the one of you in a position where, where maybe you're with a coworker or a fellow student who, who needs to hear about the assurance of their forgiveness, and God can use you to point them to the promises of the cross, assuring them of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus won for them. Could God use you someday? Might God put you in a position where your loved one is on their deathbed and they are, they are hounded by their guilt or they are, they are so scared of death and God might use you to show them the promises and the certainty of the empty tomb that leads them to be able to stand for him. What, who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, not knowing exactly what this time is, but that God has uniquely shaped you and positioned you to make a difference. And maybe the excuses can come so easily. Excuse number one would be, well, I'm not in a royal position. Okay, you may not be dubbed royalty by a King Xerxes. You may not be dubbed royalty by Queen Elizabeth of England. But you are royalty. I don't know if you heard it in that first lesson today. It says you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. You have been dubbed royalty by the king of kings. You are able to serve in his kingdom. And so, yes, 
you are in a unique position, no matter who you are here today, that God has, has equipped you and called you to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You get to work for the king who is sitting on the throne. You get to work in a kingdom where, where you are assured that the one for whom you work always wins. And so, yes, this question that Mordecai asks Esther is the very one that you and I should be asking every day of our lives and can be asking every day of our lives. What position, what royal position has God put me in right now? And if I'm going to do something about it, if I am going to make a difference, if I am going to step up in my faith, how do I do it? Well, we can learn uh, from Esther here. After she received this, this letter from Mordecai, uh, the next two verses show us uh, what she did. She sent this reply to Mordecai, and she said, Okay, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And so you see what she's doing? Fasting, yes, it means giving up things, but it's for the purpose of not just going hungry or dieting. It's for the purpose of praying. When we, are, when we look at our lives and how God can use us, the first thing that God encourages us to do is to pray. And that's really what today is about. On a confirmation Sunday, yes, you guys are making promises to be faithful to God, but you are also praying and asking everybody else here to pray with you and for you as you live your life of faith. So that's the first step. The second step, after we pray, after we think about our connection to God, the next thing is to simply go forward. Go forward and trust. And then she says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And that's, that's the attitude each of, each of us can have. That we can go forward in trust, knowing that that we work for a king, but here's what's even greater. Esther didn't know if she was going to perish. As you work for the king of kings, you have the promise that you will never perish. You know, one of the key verses that we learned in catechism class is that, that one, John 3, verse 16. Now, and maybe you know it because it's held up at football games. I haven't seen it at football games forever, and I saw it on Thanksgiving Day. It was at the Detroit game. But John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You have that promise. You have that assurance, not from any earthly king, but from the king of kings, that as you live for him, as you stand up for your faith in him, as you, you build on the opportunities that he has given to you, you will not perish. You'll win. You'll have eternal life. And the rest of the story plays out in a quite amazing way. You know, and I, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I am going to say, read the book of Esther sometime this week. It's only 10 chapters long, and I, I hate to read. So uh, if I hate to read, you, you can read, all right? Um, uh, I'll read it. I promise I will. Um, or listen to the podcast. 
But it's a fascinating book. And as you see this, this play out, you'll notice some things that are, are great takeaways for us. One is that, you know, you will note that Esther, she was not like this model believer. Uh, when she auditioned to be queen, spent the night with the king, I don't think they played an all, did an all-nighter playing Scrabble, right? She's not necessarily this, this model citizen, model Christian, living her faith all the time. Mordecai, yes, maybe he, he's, he seems to be a little bit more living his faith on a daily basis, but you'll notice that there are things, too, that he does that, uh, that maybe isn't how God would have wanted him to do things. If you read the whole book of Esther, you'll notice something is missing. God, the name of God, isn't there at all. And yet, as you read through that, you'll, I think you'll get a greater appreciation of why the Holy Spirit had these words recorded for us in Scripture. Because it's so evident that it's, that's often how God works. We often look at our shortcomings. I don't always live up to his expectations for me. And we maybe even go through life saying, God, where are you? You know, that as you read through the book of, of, of Esther and you look at your own life, you say, yeah, I don't see the hand of God working at this frame and this frame or this frame or this frame of my life's moving. But if you look back and take a step back and look at the big picture, you see God's hand is holding it all. That's what the story of Esther is all about. You know, yeah, Esther gets her name on this book, but it could have your name on it because it's all about God's providence. How God works through everything for your benefit. And, and that is the assurance that you and I have. In the, in the case of Esther, no edict or no enemy could, could wipe out God's promises of a Savior who is coming. And the same thing applies to you. There is no edict, there is no enemy that can ever wipe out God's promises for you. He, he has you in the palm of his hand. He, he promises to work things out for your good. He promises to hold you close to him. He promises that in his kingdom, as citizens of his kingdom, you always win. Every one of your enemies has already been destroyed. The Lord's kingdom will never be destroyed was the theme that we looked at last week. That's so true. That's what comes through in the book of Esther. <laughs> that whether it's, it's the devil can't stand up to you. No, he's been defeated. Your sin can't, can't stand up because Jesus took care of your sin on the cross. Death, death can't even defeat you because that was conquered at the empty tomb. You read through this short story, which reads like a novel, and you just see the story of God's providence, how God keeps his promises. And that is so important, especially on a confirmation day. On a confirmation day, there's emphasis put on the promises that the four of you are going to make. I promise to be faithful to the point of death rather than turning back on the faith. That's awesome. That's awesome that God has worked in your hearts to lead you to make that promise. But what's even more awesome is that God 
promises to keep his promise and to strengthen you all the days of your life. And that is what can lead us to do what Esther did and to put Mordecai's words into practice that we can go forward knowing that God has put us into a royal position to serve him. A royal position to, for such a time as this, no matter what this time is. And so God's blessings to the four of you, God's blessings to all of you, as you live your faith, knowing that God has positioned you for this place and this time. Amen. And the peace of God 